A walk in the woods, Garvey's choice. Make way for Diamond Daniel, Bronx Masquerade. Do those titles sound familiar to you? Well, guess what? The author of those fabulous titles, Miss Nikki Grimes is here, y'all. She is going to be my guest on the upcoming episode of Real Reading Talk. So everybody, please make sure you stay tuned. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Real Reading Talk. And I am your most gracious host, Miss Sasha. And with Real Reading Talk, I discuss the real systemic issues that are at the very core, the very foundation as to why there are low levels of literacy in the Black community and the ways in which we can combat these issues together. All right, y'all, just like I told y'all before with season three, I was dedicated to making sure that I brought on as many Black authors as possible so that we can have this conversation about the literacy levels in our Black community. And I am just so elated. I'm so excited because as you all see, I have the phenomenal dope <laughs> author who is in the house, y'all. Oh my goodness. And her name is Miss Nikki Grimes, everybody. Welcome, Miss Nikki Grimes, to the Real Reading Talk podcast. How are you? Thank you. I'm <laughs> good. Doing good. <laughs> Awesome. Oh my goodness. You look beautiful. And of course I love all your, got your books uh, displayed in the back. Awesome. And I actually have a couple of your books as well uh, <laughs> that I, I say, I said, let me get a couple to represent. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's just a, a minuscule <laughs> amount of the books that Miss Nikki Grimes has authored. Okay. So for those of you who may not know who she is, I am going to ask Miss Nikki Grimes to go ahead and give us a introduction, a background of who you are. Mm. Well, there's an awful lot to that, but uh, let's see. Um, I'm uh, an author uh, specializing in books for children and young adults. I occasionally write for adults, but I mostly concentrate on young readers. Um, I've been in the business 45 plus years. So I've been at it for, for a minute. <laughs> and uh, I actually did not plan on a career in children's literature, but you know what God does when you make plans. Yep. When he finished laughing, and I got the clue. Oh, you mean you want me to write books for kids? Okay. You got the memo. <laughs> yeah, but I had I I thought I had just one idea, and I was going to write that one book, and then I was going to go back to writing, you know, the great American novel, and uh, and he doubled over in laughter and said, "Okay, we'll see about that." And after the first book, I had an idea for a second, and then I had an idea for a third, and then I looked up one day, and thirty five years had passed, and I was like, "Wait a minute, I never wrote my great American novel." And an author friend of mine said to me, yes, you did. You just wrote it for teens. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> wow. Oh, my goodness. So I, you know, realized it was, it wasn't really a job. It was a calling. Mm, I love that. Oh, my goodness. Yes, exactly. Oh, wow. So now we, now you, you jump like way, way ahead. We, we need to know. 
where where's that foundation at right so like you know did you grow up in a house where you know your parents they they were always reading and you know and you know did you always journal like you know give us that foundation and in terms of when mm -hmm. you got started well that's kind of a yes and no question because I grew up in and out of foster care so I was in many homes some homes um, were high literacy others weren't my parents, um, my own parents were readers, both. Um, my father always gave me a book for, for a, you know, whatever was gift giving time. He might give me something else too, but always birthdays, Christmas, there was a book, at least one book, usually more than one. And he was a Pan-Africanist, so he made sure to give me books about, you know, the kingdoms of Mali and the African princesses and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I got that foundation from him. Um, but I had teachers who encouraged me to write. I had others who, who discouraged me as well. So there were both things going on. But I had this great teacher in high school who would um, slip books into my book bag without me knowing it. I'd go home and I'd find some book like Buried Treasure. Um, and she would choose books by authors she felt I needed to know. And so that's how I came to know James Baldwin. I had met him, but not known who he was, but I'd never read any of his work until, until that happened. I came home one day and I had a, it was another country. And I was like, interesting. And I fell in love with him. Um, so there were some teachers like that who were very formative uh, for me. Uh, early on. Um, but even when I was in homes that weren't uh, engaged in literature themselves, that's how I got over. Reading and writing were my survival tools as a kid, because I was wrestling with all kinds of childhood trauma and a lot of loneliness when you're in foster care. Because one of the first things that happens is they separate families. So my sister and I were living in different places and, you know, didn't have a lot of contact growing up. Um, but I, I lived in stories. I lived in the library. I should have just had a cot for me. I spent so much time there. You know, it was my safe haven. Um, and it was a place I went to um, in my mind, you know, went to story. Uh, to wrestle with whatever I was dealing with in my life or to get away from it, to escape from it. So reading was always important to me. And for many years, that's what it was about. It was about a survival tool, right? Then as I got into junior high, high school, I started thinking about the possibility of writing as a career. Up to then, I, I hadn't thought of it in that way. But I thought, hey, maybe this is something I could do, you know. And I, I was particularly concerned with just bringing more Black voices into the literary canon because there weren't enough. I could That was obvious to me. There weren't any children in all the, but I was an avid reader, an avid, avid reader. So much so, that by the time I got to college, a couple of my professors had to make up separate reading lists for me because I'd already read all the books on their list. I was that kind of a reader, okay? And with all of that reading, 
if there had been a lot of black folks, I would have been the one to find them. So it was clear to me there weren't. And uh, um, and so I thought, you know, I wanted to add my voice um, to those, you know, contribute uh, to that literature so that there would be more voices. Also, not just stories about slavery, that's important, but, you know, it's like we existed during slavery and then we existed during the civil rights movement and otherwise we didn't exist. I was like, where is the everyday kid living their regular life? I'm just, you know, um, uh, so contemporary literature was important to me. I was looking for contemporary stories. So when I came across Walter Dean Myers, I got really excited. I'm like, that's what I want to do. That's exact that, yeah, that there. <laughs> is what is what's needed more of that you know so um yeah and then of course I found others you know uh along the way but that's sort of a open the the, the door for me open my mind to, to the idea of creating books for young readers where they could see themselves uh on the pages of a book I, I believe every child should be able to see him or herself within the pages of a book. And there are still too many intersections where that's not true. Um, so, but yeah, so that that's kind of what drove me in this direction. Well, you definitely, let me just say this, you know, I, and of course, obviously I know that, um, you know, you live with in terms of just, you know, doing your own healing with how you said you were, you know, in and out of foster homes. Um, that definitely, that just really, really touched me because I'm just like, and and for you to just become just this amazing author and to, in your writing, like even, you know, one, one of my favorites, me and my daughter, we read this together on Facebook Live, uh, Make Way for Diamond Daniel. And it's just like the book, it, it literally sounds like, you know, a little black girl, you know, with her friends in school, like it, you just encapsulated, you know, just those conversations, those interactions and all of that. And that is just so amazing, especially like you said, seeing as though, you know, you were dealing with a lot of, uh, a lot of the trauma. Um, what, what I did want to know is, and what the audience wants to know as well, you know, where, so where did you grow up? So where, cause I know you, you're in the West coast. Did you grow up in, in the West coast? No, no, no. I'm a Harlem-born girl. So I I start off in Harlem. I lived in every borough of New York except for Staten Island at least twice. So there was a lot of movement around there. Okay. And then I spent six years uh, in Austin, New York, a little upstate of it. That was my last and best foster home. But otherwise, I was in different parts of New York City. Okay, okay. And I, I know you mentioned, now you said with your, so your your biological father, you said that he was a Pan-Africanist? Mm -hmm. Okay, okay. So- uh, He's a violinistic composer. Okay. Uh, which was extraordinary. I didn't realize how extraordinary that was at the time because mm -hmm. there were a lot of black classical players. Um, uh, but he he was one. And, uh, but he was also, he was a great reader. You know, he was, um, he loved theater. He, he gave me my cultural education. 
took me to my first, uh, took me to my first ballet, to see African, uh, Le Ballet Africain, mm -hmm. took me to uh, hear like, Paul Robeson and sp speakers of that ilk, um, took me to my first uh, art gallery, art opening, you know, uh, featuring black artists, one of whom I later worked with years, years later. Uh, so he really gave me my cultural education. And he had friends, you know, who were in theater, just in different areas of the arts. And so hanging out with him, I, I met different people and got involved with um, theater and, and music and, and whatnot um, as a result of his influence, kind of hanging out with him. So um, although he wasn't in my life, a lot just because, as I said, in and out of foster care, he really put his stamp on me uh, in the time that we were together. Uh, and I, I certainly wouldn't be the artist that I am without him. So, yeah. That's that's amazing. And 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 really, and see, these are the things in which um, that I talk about, you know, with you know, either with students or we have our reading events and, you know, on the podcast, how important it is for us to know who we are, you know, mm -hmm. know our culture, know our history, uh, because it gives us that foundation, that grounding. And I love the fact how you brought up too, you know, our history didn't start with slavery. You know what I'm saying? First of all, you know, it's like, you know, uh, I didn't, I didn't learn about people like Sheik Anta Jope or Jean-Henrique Clark until like later on in my life, you know what I'm saying? It was like, Again, you know, being raised, you know, how how in this Americanized, you know, educational system, it's like, yeah, you're gonna you're gonna learn about slavery, you're gonna learn about Dr. Martin Luther King and you know, Harriet Tubman, you know, slavery, Underground Railroad and civil rights and Barack Obama, and we're good, you know. It's like, <laughs> wow, okay, <laughs> that's it. <laughs> I'm like, I, I could have sworn I, you know, we, we like invented stuff, created stuff, but okay, you know what I'm saying? So I so I definitely, I'm just, this right here is, is great because our young people especially need uh, to, to hear this, you know what I'm saying? And, and be able to understand how important this is. And, and, you know, speaking of, and, and going into more now in terms of the types of books that I know, I know we're on limited time, so I'm trying to crunch everything in. Uh, and what was, first of all, what was your very first book that you- Oh, uh, the first book was Growing, uh, G-R-O-W-I-N apostrophe. And okay. it was a story about a friendship between a black boy and girl. Okay. Yeah, okay. that was the very first one. And then that was followed by Something on My Mind, a collection of poetry with art uh, by um, Tom Feelings. But it was very, this was the artist whose work I saw um, with my father. He used to, illustrate, um, do a lot of illustrations for the Liberator, and which my father always had on his coffee table. He was always, you know, looking at copies of that. So I was familiar with his work, but not him until I went to, to this gallery showing. And then years later, I met him and he asked me if I would consider doing a book with him, you know, um, writing poems to go with some of his art, which is what I ended up doing. Um, and the book was called Something on My Mind, and it was the first Coretta Scott King uh, award winner for art. First ever, yeah, was, was that book. 
and it was stayed in print for like 20 years or so so yeah man oh wow I I I have not heard of that book but I'm I'm have to look that up because I'm like wow man I know you like I said I know you have <laughs> a plethora of books that you have written what was so what was the book that really um that really so what was the you know most memorable book that you have written uh well the most memorable book in, in terms of well mm -hmm. certainly the most challenging mm -hmm. memoir ordinary okay. house yeah okay um which took me forever to write I love when people ask how long did the book take. This one took 39 years. I worked on it off and on and I'd forget about it and I'd start again when you know my agent or someone else would mention, so so what happened with that memoir? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I have to get back to that, you wow. know. Um, so it was the most challenging, but I've always believed that my own story was the single most important story I had to tell. And I needed to tell that because it was a story of darkness and light, story of joy, a story of grace, survival, you know, a lot of things mixed in. Um, and what underlines all of my work, because it underlines my own story, is hope. Mm -hmm. All about hope. Um, if there's not a, a thread of hope, I'm not interested. Because <laughs> this is what we need, you know. And um, so, yeah, so that was absolutely the most challenging um, story of all. In part because when you, this is mostly true of people who've experienced trauma, but it, it happens in general, I suppose. You lose um, pieces of your memory, things that are lost, and sometimes they're permanently lost. Other times you can access them if you can figure out how, sometimes uh, memories can be triggered by something you hear by music. Mm -hmm. It could be a food memory. You just never know what's going to trigger, you know, a memory. Um, and so I had these block blank spaces. And so the challenge was trying to figure out how to weave the story together in spite of that. And um, and so what I ended up doing is just letting the reader know when I'd hit one of those places where, you know, some of that was gone, but, and I would tell them what I would know and then just keep going. Mm. The reader was able to, you know, accept that and just keep going. So, yeah, that was the most challenging. So I want, I want to stay there a little bit because just like, and I'm just like you mentioned in terms of us, especially as black folks being descendants of our enslaved ancestors. And we definitely, we suffer all of us, just like Dr. Joy DeGruy talked about post-traumatic yeah. slave syndrome. So how do we get our young people to channel that the different issues that they're dealing with and, and older people. I'm, and I'm saying young people first, because of the fact, you know, we, you know, our young folks, number one, we're talking about the, the, the low levels of literacy in the black community. Um, you're talking about, you know, children who are eighth grade high school, barely reading on a fourth grade level, you know, and we know that a lot of that, those issues in terms of not wanting to read, no desire to read, um, it's because they're not seeing the reading done in the communities. 
And a lot of that is all infused with the trauma, the issues, the all the stuff that's going on in our community. How can we get our people, just like how you were, you know, you started, you, you, you were around, obviously, readers, you know what I'm saying? And you were around that culture. But like you said, there were times where you weren't. And then you started, you know, diving in. You said, okay, you know what? This helped me survive, me writing, me reading. How can we, you know, get that message? Uh, what are some advice you can give to our young people to do that? Well, first of all, it's it's really important that they be guided to books with which they can resonate. Because whenever anybody tells me, oh, this is a reluctant reader, or this person can't read, I'm like, no, 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 no. You just need to give them a book to which they can relate, and then they will do whatever they need to to read that book. And I have seen that proven out again and again and again. And um, there are many more, we're still not where we need to be, but there are many, many more um, books for, for our children, for our teens now than there ever were. Um, and so you know that, and it's you, you might not go into a, a big box store and find everything that you want. That isn't the place to look anyway, because they'll what they do is they'll order two copies of a new book, and then when those sell, they don't restock it, which is why you really need to go to independent booksellers. If you don't know who they are, go online, look for them, Google Black booksellers, find out which ones are in your area. The other thing is to make really much better use of the library as a resource. It is such a powerful resource. Librarians are some of the smartest people on the planet and they know their stuff, they know their books, they know what's new, what's out, you know, what is available for which kind of audience, which kind of kid. Use that resource, go to your librarians, tell them, my, my, my boy, my, my daughter is X years old and interested in X, Y, Z, what do you have for them? And they'll be starting pulling out books left and right because they know what's on the shelf, okay? Um, so just kind of do that kind of work. Once, a reader has a book to, to which he or she can relate, you can't stop them. They get hooked. And then they're coming back to you like, I, I want another book like this. You have another book like this? Where is it? You know, um, when you have a reader who's found a book that they love, found an author they love, go on, again, go online. If you can't do it at home, you don't have access, do it in the library. Um, go to that person's website, find out what other books they've written, you know, because we all have our websites and we have our books and we have, you know, reviews of the books. You can find out information about what the books and so you can find out what might appeal to you. Um, that information is there. Make use of things like uh, the Brown Bookshelf, um, which amplifies Black voices. That's, you know, online resource, again, um, and what Weeniverse Books is all about, you know, amplifying voices as well. So these are some, just a couple of the organizations that have information about the books that are out there, the authors that are out there uh, producing work for young readers at different age levels. Because uh, as I said, once, once you put a book in their hands that they connect to, they're going to want more. I just it's an automatic, you know? So then the question becomes, how do you feed that? I, I have bookshelves 
all over my house. And I feel like they have babies on the shelves overnight because I give away boxes of books all the time to the young people in my life. And they turn right around after I just gave them a box and say, okay, where's the next one? <laughs> we read those, we're ready for more. And I'm like, what? You're killing me. So I'm cannibalizing my own library collection just to keep these kids fed. Because once they get on it, they're on it. You know, you can't hardly stop them. And once they read it and they hear their own voices on the page, that gives them the idea and the encouragement to put down their own words, to realize, oh, this is something I can do. Let me try that, right? One of the things that happened with uh, Bronx Masquerade, which is one of my most popular uh, novels for teens, um, it's a book written in 18 different voices and predominantly black and brown and Asian characters. And when teachers bring this into the classroom, there are a few things that happen. First of all, teachers tell me it changes the climate of their classroom. It changes the culture of their classroom. Kids start to realize that that person across from them who they had whatever preconceived notions about, maybe they're not who they thought they were, right? And as they start to share who they are through poetry, they begin to understand that they're more alike than they are different. So it changes the culture of the classroom. But it also gives readers a window into possibilities for themselves. And so these kids that are creating, a lot of classrooms create uh, a high school masquerade based on their own high school name, collection of their own, where each one takes a position and a voice and you know, writes like a monologue and a poem to go with it and that kind of thing. Um, that's been happening for over 20 years, it's a huge success. The, the teachers who do it, do it like every year. There are schools I know that teach this every year. It would be like the whole eighth grade or the whole ninth grade, you know, reading this or the sequel um, companion book between the lines. Um, so, like I said, the books are out there. There are the resources to find those books and get those books into the hands of, of your young readers. And they're going to be off and running. That's great advice. I, I love it. I'm definitely, it's so funny because a lot of these different things, you know, as I ask all of my guests that, that same question, and they pretty much give the same answer. It's like, and it, it just goes to show you though, that I think people have to understand it's not rocket science. I think people, when they start thinking about, okay, well, how, how do I do this? How do I get my kids into reading? I mean, all of what you said is like, literally, it's just practical stuff. You know, mm -hmm. what resonates with you? What do you like? What's your interest? Okay, you know, you like those kinds of books? Okay, you devoured that? Okay, get more of that. You yeah. know, so, <laughs> you know, it's like, so I just, you know, that's why, you know, in, in me asking that, you know, number one, just showing the people when they're listening, like, hey, look, you guys, you know, we just literally, we just keep to that, that practical advice, you know, mm -hmm. right there, then wash, rinse, repeat, keep on doing it, exactly. you know. <laughs> we're going to be on the money. Exactly. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to 
just a couple more questions. I know, I know you, you're limited time. So, but I wanted to ask you, this definitely is something I think that uh, the audience needs to know. Like, what is the process that you go through when you're about to write a book? So what, what are some advice you would give to somebody who's, you know, they're like, look, I want to write a book. I don't know where to start. What do you do? What would you suggest? I was give uh, two pieces of advice in general. Um, and that is to read, 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 and write, write, write. Read, 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 because your writing is always going to reflect the quality and quantity of the books that you read. The more that you read and the more diverse your reading is, um, the better writer you will end up being because every single genre has something to teach you. Even So even if you, you don't plan to write poetry, read it. You don't plan to write science fiction, read it. Every single genre has something to teach you, something you can take away and then use in your own work. And then write, 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 because writing is a muscle and it has to be exercised. The only way you get good at it is to do it a lot. The more you do it, the better you will be. And then in a, a, a broader sense, I always suggest, because this was so important to me, there's so many naysayers in your life. I found early on, it was important to surround myself with other dreamers, other people who had goals, so that we could encourage each other and push each other and challenge each other. And because we, we, you know, we were listening to one another, it drowned out the voices of the naysayers. So it really helps to do that. You know, so that you can just press on and hold on to your dreams. Because I mean, folks left and right were telling me, "You wanted, you want to be a writer? What? You want to do what?" And they laughed. You know, and poetry. Oh my gosh, laughed off the planet. You write poetry. <laughs> like, yeah, okay. So you have to just silence those voices. And as I said, surround yourself with like-minded people young people who have dreams of their own and encourage them and you encourage each other and push each other and um, and silence those voices because what do they know? Those voices were writing me off from day one. You know, I was expected to be some kind of statistic. Psychologists were saying I was going to be a statistic. People were just like writing me off. I'm like, yeah, watch me. Yeah. Well, I'm like, I'm getting really inspired. Okay. I'm just like, oh my goodness, you, you are over here, you're preaching and, and I love it. And this is what our folks need to hear. I'm about to end with these last two questions. The, the next one is um, how long does it usually take you to write a book? And then I want you to tell everybody, uh, what book are you, well, this is a two-part. What book are you currently writing and what book are you currently reading? Mm. <laughs> uh, the how long question really depends on the book because there are, uh, first of all, I write all over the place. I write picture books, chapter books, middle grade novels, young adult novels, adult. So it's really all over the, over the place, all over the place. Um, there are books that, even picture books sometimes, that require so much research that they can take, you know, many months. I can spend six months just doing research on some, uh, some, some books. Um, if something 
that require that kind of intense research. And it's a picture book. It can be anywhere to three to six months to write it. Now, that's not to get it out because then that has to be illustrated. And that's a whole other number in terms of that. Um, novels can take, on average, about two years to write. Because there isn't, writing, people need to understand, writing is mostly rewriting. The original draft doesn't take forever, but all of the rewriting to get the work where it needs to be for publication, you know, that's a whole other process. And I don't even count how many times, you know, I revise something, um, but I do it until, people say, how do you know when you're done? I know I'm done when I find myself making changes that are no longer improvements. Then I'm like, okay, we're done. <laughs> um, so that, to answer that question, and I'm sorry, what, what well, once, I was just about to, yep. So what book are you, are you working on a book now? I know you, uh, you know, talk, talked about the memoir and also what book are you currently reading? Uh, oh, the memoir has been done for a while. Um, <laughs> I'm currently, right, what am I working on? Oh, a couple different picture books um, that I'm working on. Um, one is called uh, For the Love of James. I realized a few years ago the three most important men in my life were all named James. And I was like, I got to do something with that. So that's one that I'm working on. Uh, and what else is there? There's um, a book on Easter. I'm not sure what it's going to be. I have I have a collection of poems, a contemporary um, a book about you know memories of of the, just that season. Um, but then I also have a poem that I really love that might work as a book length poem about. Um, one of the experiences of, of Easter Sunday. So those are the two. And then I have things that are just out waiting to come into publication and, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. I'm still promoting A Walk in the Woods, which was the big book for last year. Last count, it made uh, 11 best book lists. We got eight starred reviews, which my publisher says is a record. Wow. So yeah. It's, a lot of people have resonated with it um, wow. at different levels. So just kind of never know. So you do the work, do it with intention, mm -hmm. put it out in the world and see what God's going to do with it. Because no clue. That's right. I love it. And and what, and last part, what are you, what book are you reading? Are you the type of person who do you favor nonfiction because I know you write you know a lot of you know fictional stories or do you favor both what what book are you reading now I'm reading my favorite genre right now I, my favorite genre is memoir oh okay. right now I'm reading um why fathers cry at night by Kwame Alexander yeah oh okay why fathers cry very, at night. Uh, fathers cry at night is very unusual Mm. It's written in poetry, prose, and recipes. What? 
You got to take a look at it. Oh, I you it's already look, you already know. I'm, I'm going to order copies for our community. So like, yeah. wow. Oh my yeah. goodness. That is awesome. So, oh, okay. Well, let's. Like and I the said, other thing, um, well, I'm, I'm almost finished with it, is Kin by um, Carol Boston Weatherford, which, excuse me, it's, it's a me also a memoir, mm -hmm. but it's about her family tree. Mm -hmm. Don't go back. And very interesting. And illustrated by her son, who's an artist. Oh. Okay. That's another, another one to look at. Say that title one more time for everybody. Kin. Okay, Kin. Ken, yeah. Okay, okay. Awesome. Oh, I love it. I love it. Well, I definitely, we definitely, when everybody is able to hear this podcast, oh my goodness, I'm just so pumped. I'm just like, y'all, <laughs> Miss Nikki Grimes up on here, okay? <laughs> well, we definitely appreciate you, appreciate your time, um, all of the work that you have done. Uh, you, you set the tone. All right, model in our community. You know, this is what our people need to see. You know, more Black authors and especially Black women authors as well. So we definitely appreciate you. Where can everybody find you and get copies of your book? If you can tell us that. Oh, gosh. Uh, again, in your independent booksellers, you can find it um, online. Um, Bookshop.org, you know, carries a lot of my work. Uh, but definitely hit up the black bookstores for sure. Give them, give them your love and support because uh, they carry my work. Uh, but my work really is everywhere. Mm, <laughs> exactly. Well, everywhere. Um, so, and go to my website to find out what is available. I mean, what, what books there are. Uh, so you can go in to a store with information. You're looking for this book, this title, that kind of thing. So that's it. Nikki, uh, NikkiGrimes.com. I like to keep it simple. I know that's <laughs> right. Yes. I say, oh, well, this is real easy. Nikki <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, and, I, yeah. And you'll find me on, you know, Twitter. I don't know why they call it X. It's ridiculous. I know. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> all those places, Instagram. But yeah, but definitely go to my website. Start there. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Again, I appreciate you immensely. You you are just so super dope. <laughs> and I thank you for gracing your presence here on the Real Reading Talk podcast. Once again, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> and everyone, I want to say thank you all for listening again to another episode of Real Reading Talk. And I am your most gracious host, Ms. Sasha. And again, this you all were listening to a phenomenal conversation between the wonderful author, Ms. Nikki Grimes, and myself. And remember to please keep reading for at least 30 minutes a day. And remember, reading is freedom. Peace. Peace. I mean, y'all, oh my goodness. Uh, just like I, I told uh, Ms. Nikki Grimes, I was... I was definitely a little slightly in fan mode, okay? Uh, I was just so blown away by her story. Um, you guys, she is just such an inspiration. And I am just so grateful that she accepted uh, my invitation to come on 
real reading talk because she was definitely dropping jewels and gems, um, especially about uh, her talking about her diving into reading and writing uh, during those those times that were very traumatic uh, for her as she was growing up. So I hope that you all gained a lot of the inspiration like I did uh, from Miss Nikki Grimes' story. So with that being said, um, of course, you know, I got to do my, my housekeeping, right? So again, I am a pre-K through fourth grade reading tutor. And the name of my reading tutoring business is ABC Learn Tutoring. And if your child is struggling uh, with comprehension, with reading fluency, with phonemic awareness, if your child has been diagnosed with dyslexia, I am also a certified dyslexia tutor. Please make sure you reach out to me by going to abclearntutoring.com and click on their free reading assessment today. All right. And I'm also the founder and executive director of ABC Read. Our mission is to develop and nurture a culture of literacy in Black and underserved communities. We've given away close to 6,000 books, y'all. And our intention is to give away 10,000 books by the end of this year in total. All right. And y'all already know. And for those of you who don't know, I'll show you an example of the types of books that we like to give to the community, okay? So books, we have books for all ages, all right? And we also have dynamic reading events replete with uh, awesome, phenomenal Black entrepreneurs, uh, dope literacy games that are intergenerational activities, and healthy foods, healthy snacks for the community, all right? Please go to abcread.org. Look to see what we've been doing. And if you would be so kind to donate to our organization, that would be so great. In fact, I just have to say that Miss Nikki Grimes had donated to our organization. That right there was just so phenomenal, especially by her being such a renowned author. You know, um, a lot of times, sometimes we have folks who are in her position where they're very well known and, you know, they, they may not be as connected to people like us who are, you know, in the small groups, small, uh, excuse me, small grassroots community. Um, so it definitely uh, was a great feeling to have to see that she wanted to donate to our organization. And also I uh, started a brand called Reading is Freedom. All right. So y'all see on the shirt. Um, so you guys can grab your merch. I have shirts, hoodies, mugs. And this is the time right now for those hoodies, y'all. This is still hoodie weather, okay? Go to readingisfreedom.store. Also, don't forget to subscribe to my YouTube channel, Reading is Freedom, okay? And make sure that you are following the podcast. Go to Google Podcasts. Go to Spotify. Apple, anywhere where you listen to your podcast, please make sure that you are listening to this one, sharing it with everybody as well, okay? And uh, last two things, I wanted to share with you all the books that I've been reading. The, uh, one of the books is I Wish My Dad, written by Ramal Toon, excellent book. And I'm also still, it's actually a few books, but it's another book that I'm finishing up uh, Spare the Kids by Sp Stacey Patton, all right? So that book, she says, why, why whooping children will not save Black America, all right? That's a deep one. And I want to leave you all with this quote here. And this quote is this. This is by Malcolm X. You have to learn 
how to see for yourself, hear for yourself, think for yourself, and then judge for yourself. Malcolm X. So with that being said, you all, I thank you all again for listening to another episode of Real Reading Talk. I am your most gracious host, Ms. Sasha. This was season three, again, episode 21, all right? And you all make sure that you take care and remember to please keep reading for at least 30 minutes a day. And remember, reading is freedom. Peace.